Hello, and welcome to Hang Time, a St. Michelle Wine Estates podcast where we hang with the exceptional people behind our incredible portfolio of wines. I'm Paul Asakainen, National Wine Educator, hanging here in Napa Valley. We created this podcast to feed your intellectual curiosity, whether you're behind the wheel, up in the air, or just thirsty for knowledge. All right, welcome to the show. Uh, today, I'm very fortunate to be here at Col Solari on an absolutely gorgeous sunny day in January. Uh, I'm going to be hanging with Daryl Allwine, head winemaker at Col Solari, to get some insight on why Red Mountain is so distinct and how St. Michelle Wine Estates and the Antonori family have really helped define this region. We'll also discuss how Renzo Coltarella, CEO and chief enologist, and Piero Antonori's direct involvement influenced the wine. Hope you enjoy the chat. All right, we're here at beautiful Col Solare with Daryl Allwine, head winemaker here. Daryl, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you arrived here at Col Solare, your background, um, everything that is you. Yeah, so, you know, as far as the wine industry, I had no recollection as far as wine or anything enjoyment of that goes. You know, I did some time while I was in the U.S. Air Force in Germany. I uh, did some tourist uh, type uh, atmosphere out there with in the Rheingau and the Mosel. Tasted a few wines, but really didn't intrigue me. I liked the beer a lot better than the wine. So, <laughs> But after retiring from the Air Force, I moved back to Washington and uh, moved to eastern Washington to work for my brother. Um, after about four months, that was more than enough I could stand. So there was an ad in a local newspaper for a cellar worker down at Columbia Crest. And from there, I kind of did a, several interviews, got hired in 1996, and never looked back. Once I started there, I learned winemaking from the winemaker Ray Einberger, and it, you know I fell in love with it. And then from that point on, I delved myself in to learn winemaking and took some courses on through UC Davis online. And then the Washington State University has their professional certificate program. I did both those programs. It started with the Coastal Area Project in 2003, working under Marcus Nataro, who was the winemaker at the time, and I became the assistant. And then we, of course, built the facility here in Red Mountain in 2006, and then we both came up. And then as Marcus decided to go down to Napa Valley and make uh, wine down at Stakeley Wine Cellars, I got promoted to head winemaker in 2013. Fortunate for you. Yes, it was very fortunate. Yeah, and um, I know that uh, Renza was just here. Uh, I'd like to hear a little bit about the... Symbiotic relationship. Of course, this is a joint partnership between Chateau Saint Michel and the Antonori family. Tell us how it is working with Renzo and the Antonori family. What maybe you've learned from him, and what he brings to the table. The frequency that he tastes the wines, and you know, just his philosophy that, and how that marriage happens with your philosophy. Right. Yeah. No. Renzo and even Piero, they are so passionate about what they do with their wines in Italy. And also in the other uh, in, uh, regions that they've been making wine at. So with the project here and working with Renzo, he visits me typically a couple times a year. Usually this time of the year. He was just here in, uh, last this past few days. And then also in July. But, you know, he has a philosophy of making the best wine possible you can for the region. And, you know, with their vision and what they did with the partnership in, starting in 1995 was to make the best Bordeaux-style Cabernet-driven wine in Washington State. And not that, just that, but the world. And, you know, working with that and his passion and, you know, they bring so much history and insight 
into winemaking and, and actual grape growing, viticultural practices. So it really enhances us and our partnership to really put the best wine that we can in the bottle. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, how we came to be on Red Mountain. Uh, just its history. I know it's kind of a um, embarrassment of riches here almost in terms of when we talk about Washington State and Eastern Washington and how the uh, Missoula floods came through and, you know, gave us this um, interesting soil composition and the heat summation here. We have all those things. And let's talk a little bit about what makes Red Mountain particularly so good and how that discovery process worked of this area. Yeah, so, you know, like you say, the Missoula floods kind of brought all that sediment and debris into these regions in in eastern Washington. But really what kind of offsets Red Mountain in the sense that this particular slope is more of a southwest-facing slope, where most slopes here are actually south-facing. And most of the the winds are southwest-driven. So those winds came through during those floods and through the years, and all this... Uh, wind-blown lows settled into this west-facing slope more than it did in the other areas. So it has a high calcium carbonate level, high pH, so the wine, the, the vines really struggle to get the nutrients and the water out of the soil. And typically, another aspect of this area is it gets usually around 40 to 50 more growing degree days, heat units, than any other area here in eastern Washington. So it's very unique, especially for Cabernet Sauvignon. And that's just due to its relative size. It's so minuscule comparatively to most of the other AVAs in eastern Washington and the Columbia Valley that that's where it just gets that unique extra sunshine? Yes, extra sunshine, plus you get that heat. And then just with the soil structure and everything that's here on this particular site, the Cabernets, the vines really struggle. The clusters are a lot smaller, more intense flavor profile in the actual in the actual fruit itself. And I guess also is uh, a fact that it's less rain here. Yes, yeah, you know, less than eight inches of rain a year. Typically, it's around six to seven inches, and you know we can really control that with canopy growth, with the uh, irrigation. So we can, you know, canopy growth and berry size. And it comes down to Cabernet uh, as exactly. a grape here, and Cabernet loves heat. Exactly. Uh, and that extra struggle, I guess, really pushes it over the edge. Tell me how you feel that um, Cabernet in particular here at Red Mountain is compared a lot of times to Napa. And where I live, you know, a lot of folks that are being priced out uh, in terms of wanting to try new projects. There's just not much there left available, and it's so expensive that they're looking to Washington, but particularly Red Mountain. What do you think the similarities are between the two? Well, it's, you know, as far as the, you know, the regions down in Napa and, and Cabernet and, you know, the Judgment of Paris and put them on the map. And then Red Mountain, you know, there's a lot of different regions that are coming to Red Mountain to grow Cabernet here and make wine. You know, the, the uh, Duckhorn Group out of Napa Valley, uh, Terlato Group from Napa Valley has acquired land here on Red Mountain. And, you know, with the, with the inset as far as Red Mountain and, you know, 1975 was the first plantings here. And, you know, the, the Williams family, John Williams and then Jim Holmes with Shield du Cheval Vineyards were the first to put fruit here. And, you know, it was all sagebrush up until then. There was nothing planted. So it was really a, a kind of a vision for them and moving forward and what we wanted to do here with Red Mountain. You know, with our partnership with Pierre Antonori and, you know, and Renzo, 
and the partnership to really find an area that can focus Cabernet Sauvignon. And that's why we chose Red Mountain. And it was that always the vision, even when Col Solari was starting to be conceptualized, was that we need to be on Red Mountain, or was that a process as where the fruit became available? Because, of course, you know, Col Solari started as a red blend labeled as Columbia Valley. Correct. Uh, and then it, of course, has become this estate-driven wine uh, from Red Mountain. So how, how did that process work out? Well, you know, initially it was, of course, Columbia Valley. You know, the fruit sourcing was from the Coal Creek Vineyard the Canoe Ridge Estate Vineyard. We sourced fruit from Columbia Crest Estate Vineyard and then several grower vineyards. But the idea, because there's so many different regions that fruit came from, you couldn't have an identity for your brand. So that's where they check kind of shows in the early 2000s to look for areas that really can get that focus with Cabernet-driven, that black fruit, the currants that we want in our, in our wines. And that's when we started sourcing fruit from Red Mountain and really seeing how that performed and 2005 is when we actually looked for the land here and then kind of worked with the Williams family to, be, uh, to purchase this property in 2005. Okay. I think it's a good shift to talk about our estate vineyard here and how it's planted, the orientation, because it's quite unique. Um, I know that there's a lot of influence from the Antonori side in terms of how it's planted and why and some of the methodologies there and the philosophy of, of growing grapes. Tell us a little bit about how that came to, that partnership really formed in terms of making those decisions and kind of maybe even touch on if there's similarities to Tignanello. A lot of the people that will be listening here, you know, sell the Antonori portfolio. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a nice way to tie that into to both these, both these wines. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, with our design of the vineyard and how we wanted to proceed with that, of course, you know, with the Antonori's over 26 generations of winemaking and, and viticulture is to get the best fruit quality out of a particular vine. So they did long-term viticultural studies to really determine that if you have a high-density planting, so basically you have less fruit per root structure, so our vineyards planted at uh, 2,070 plants per acre, whereas most vineyards in Washington are anywhere from 900 to 1,200 plants per acre. And with that, you have less fruit per root structure, so the concentration per vine is more. And with that, we, you know, we planted our estate vineyard that way, and then also at the orientation to try and get the best site-specific orientation of your vineyard. And, and with that, our, our viticultural staff did computer modeling, and they determined at this orientation about 40 degrees off south, with that high-density planting late July, August, when it's typically the warmest time of the year, you get a shading effect along the fruit zone on the west side of the canopy. So with that, we were able to open the canopy up more, get true VSP trellising, and really expose that west side more to get that ripening effect during the growing season. Okay, very interesting. And then in terms of the winemaking techniques that you employ in the cellar, uh, how are, are those similar or dissimilar to uh, what they're doing in Italy? Um, you know, are they specific to this place that they're kind of hybridized to capture the essence of Washington fruit, as well as some of the sensibilities uh, from Italy? Yeah, I mean, that is definitely one of the aspects of what we learned here with Red Mountain fruit and the tannin structure here can be very intense and, and sometimes overpowering. And the idea is to try and tame those tannins so the wines are more supple and ripe. 
And that's one thing with Tiganello and Salaya and Gualatasso is they've learned how to tame those tannins through ripeness and also fermentation protocol. And we brought some of those techniques back to us to really enhance the profile and the, and the style of wine that we're trying to make here. Mm-hmm. In terms of the harvest in the last couple of years, how, how do you feel that uh, we have evolved in terms of, you know, that we've gone through what three vintages now with uh, this being labeled as a red mountain and uh, it's not a hundred percent of state, but it's close. Right. Um, what happened in uh, 2019 this past year that you really, in, you really liked maybe if there was challenges, if there was some positives, what did you see in the grapes? Yeah, 2019 actually started out, I mean, it was somewhat normal as far as bud break, but we had that long, late uh, uh, snowfall in February, the whole month of February into March. It was very cold and a lot of snow. So that snow kind of hung out until the third, fourth week of March, which prevented our crew to get out there and do some pruning early. Typically, pruning's done sometime in, in early February. But yeah, I see a lot, as I drove up, I saw a lot of, uh, it's partially cane. Correct. Uh, right, yeah. Yeah, so they all, uh, in 19, but overall the vintage was good. You know, we had some good uh, heat during the early summer and then during the uh, late summer. But then, of course, harvest time uh, kicked off for me the uh, uh, 10th of, of September. Proceeded through the uh, ripening phases. The, the vines actually ripened very good here. The fruit did. So we actually got some very intense flavor, good profiles, but we did have an early freeze. So there was that freeze that happened on October 10th. But being on this upper elevation where our state vineyard is at, we were fine up until the uh, 15th of October. Then everything started cooling off, but I had all my fruit picked by the 12th. So that was a good, good job. Thing. Yes. <laughs> good, good picking yes. decisions, right? Yes. Um, well, that's fantastic. Uh, where do we where do we seem to go from here? Uh, what's what's the next steps for Colsolari? Anything new and exciting? Whether it be uh, you know replanting after we've learned over the last you know ten years, or something in the cellar that we're we're looking to adjust? Or are we pretty uh, on cruise control for some good wines to come? Yeah, no, we're you know we're continually modifying our our crush pad. Uh, we just uh, in 2019 bought a new sorting system. It's a Roto-Vibe double roller sorter system that really enhanced the quality of the fruit that came out at the end. We in, uh, built a new conveyor system so we can actually gravity feed into two additional larger fermentation tanks. So currently I'm doing 100% gravity fed fruit into my fermenters, which can enhance that flavor profile, especially through the tannin extraction. Mm-hmm. The vineyards, you know, we're always working with the vineyards and the, the fruit selection we have out there. You know, in 2014, we grafted our Petit Verdot over to a, another clone of Cabernet. Petit Verdot was not working at the site. You know, we have a little Carbonair planted around our, out here on our vineyard, and it's not doing so good. So we're probably going to graft that over to something else. We're not sure yet, but maybe something special that we can do just for our wine club or, or the tasting room. Yeah, let's keep the Carmenere at uh, Haras de Perque in, yes, uh, in exactly. Chile, right? Yes. Um, and then I know we've we've concentrated and done a lot of work with our component series as well with Colsolari. You want to talk a little bit about um, how that's developed? Yeah, so our component series wines is a, is a three varietal set off our estate vineyard. Uh, the last four or five vintages, there's always been Saran Malbec. And then I've kind of rotated it between a Cabernet Franc, a Merlot, and maybe a Cabernet. But, you know, it, it's a very selective bottling we do about 200 cases of it direct to consumer only 
here at the Taste Room. And in addition to that, we've actually started creating another special blend just for our wine club that's been changing each year. So, for instance, in 2014, the first one was a 50% Cabernet, 50% Malbec. Uh, 2017, we kind of went with a right bank style wine, Merlot base, was Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, Cab Franc. So it's just different things that we do for the tasting rooms and our wine club. What if what would there be of, if you had three key takeaways for selling Colsolari and for really convincing somebody that it's a wine that should be on the wine list? What, what would those three key factors be? Well, you know, number one would be that, uh, you know, our wine is, is structured and, and, the, and the style is has a lot of balance and, and power. So it, it's definitely something that can go with several types of food and can certainly be on a wine list. Second one would be, you know, just that partnership with the Antonori family and that passion, what they've done in Italy, and to bring that to Washington and to really focus on what we do here, on especially Red Mountain and, and, the, and the style of wine we're trying to make. One of the last things I, I kind of think of, I was doing some reading on some of the new pending AVAs, and a lot of them seem to be uh, very close by to Red Mountain. Is that coincidence, or uh, is there an intent there to capitalize on the popularity and the characteristics of Red Mountain? Is it a little bit political, or is it uh, some you know real differences there? I, I would believe it's very political in a sense that the one area that's I can see out here through the window, you know, it's less than five miles away from here, and it's a totally different site. It has you know the flavor profile, the fruit that's made there, is not comparable to Red Mountain. So, but it is unique in a sense that it it has its own area. Is that is that Candy Mountain? Uh, no, this is uh, Goose Gap. Oh, Goose Gap. Okay. Yeah, Candy Mountain. It would be just actually to the other side of that, and it's also a different site. So it's just. You know, that's actually a f- uh, south-facing slope, and um, I've not had the fruit there or uh, tasted any wines that's been made from that particular site, so I'm not familiar. Right. I that. wonder if uh, there is going to be those opportunities pop up around these new AVAs because, well, there's, you know, either I can't get fruit from Red Mountain, so I'll get close. Right. <laughs> um, but, you know, I guess that is all part of the uh, the efforts that the more people recognize and, and buy Washington wines and are producing these wines, it's better for everybody here. I think that's still the mentality of, of Eastern Washington at this point, yeah? Yes, exactly. I mean, you know, the whole idea of Washington and, and the industry here, you know, we do very good for several varietals. And, and Washington as a whole, the quality of the wine that's produced here is top-notch, and, you, you know, you can't beat it anywhere in the world. Yeah. Well, that's a nice way to uh, to sum up the the third point, I guess, is that it's, it's just completely unique uh, in terms of its quality, its sense of place. You have the history of the Antinories. You have the heritage of Chateau Saint-Michel being the leader right. of Washington wine. You know, you wrap all those up and you, you get this beautiful estate vineyard wine that is just so opulent rich and I you talk a little bit ageable too right I mean this wine can lay down for an extended period oh definitely yeah at least 15 to 20 years you know we yeah. continually about every two years taste the complete vertical of Col Solari starting with 95 and you know we just had the 96 here in November and it's still fresh yeah 
So, you know, the wine certainly can age for an extended period of time, but also, you know, we make it to be able to be drank if you want to drink it right away. So it's just a matter of having that flexibility. Right. I, you hear that all the time. It's like, oh, well, you got to lay this down for, you know, 10 years before you can drink it. Well, what's the point then? Yeah. You know, it, it might if, not live that long. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you might not get there. Uh, so, you know, make it delicious now, but have the potential to age it too. Exactly. Well, fantastic. Daryl, thank you so much for uh, joining me today and uh, giving us your thoughts and your passion for uh, this beautiful wine and this incredible winery property. Awesome. Thanks, Appreciate Paul. It. You have been listening to Hang Time, a podcast about wine brought to you by the education team at St. Michelle Wine Estates. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this podcast or any of our wines, please drop us a line at wineed, wined at smwe.com. Now go, use what you have learned, help you, it will.